Volume One, Chapter Sixteen of A Charming Fellow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Charming Fellow by Francis Eleanor Trollope. Volume One, Chapter Sixteen. Arrived in London with an influential patron ready to receive him and twenty pounds in his pocket over and above the sum his mother had contrived to spare out of her quarter's income algernon errington considered himself to be a very lucky fellow he had good health good spirits good looks and a disposition to make the most of them untrammelled by shyness or scruples he did feel a little nervous as he drove the day after his arrival in town to lord seely's house but by no means painfully so he was undeniably anxious to make a good impression, but his experience so far led him to assume, almost with certainty, that he should succeed in doing so. The hackney coach stopped at the door of a grimy-looking mansion in Mayfair, but it was a stately mansion withal. In reply to Algernon's inquiry, whether Lord Seely was at home, a solemn servant said that his lordship was at home, but was usually engaged at that hour. "'Will you carry my card in to him?' said Algernon. "'Mr. Ancrum Errington.' Algy felt that he had made a false move in coming without any previous announcement, and in dismissing his cab, when he was shown into a little closet off the hall, lined with dingy books, and containing only two hard horsehair chairs, to await the servant's return. There was something a little flat and ignominious in this his first appearance in the Seely house, waiting like a dun or an errand-boy, with the possibility of having to walk out again, without having been admitted to the light of my lord's countenance. However, within a reasonable time, the solemn footman returned, and asked him to walk upstairs, as my lady would receive him, although my lord was for the present engaged. Algernon followed the man up a softly carpeted staircase, and through one or two handsome drawing-rooms, a little dim from the narrowness of the street and the heaviness of the curtains, into a small cosy boudoir. There was a good fire on the hearth, and in an easy chair on one side of it sat a fat lady, with a fat lapdog on her knees. The lady, as soon as she saw Algernon, waved a jewelled hand to keep him off, and said in a mellow, pleasant voice, which reminded him of his mother's, "'How do you do? Don't shake hands, nor come too near, because Fido don't like it, and he bites strangers if he sees them touch me. Sit down.' Algernon had made a very agile backward movement on the announcement of Fido's infirmity of temper, but he bowed, smiled, and seated himself at a respectful distance opposite to my lady. Lady Seely's appearance certainly justified Mrs. Errington's frequent assertion, that there was a strong family likeness throughout all branches of the Ancrum stock, for she bore a considerable resemblance to Mrs. Errington herself, and a still stronger resemblance to a miniature of Mrs. Errington's grandfather, which Algy had often seen. My lady was some ten years older than Mrs. Errington. She wore a blonde wig and was rouged, but her wig and her rouge belonged to the candid and ingenuous species of embellishment. Each proclaimed aloud, as it were, I am a wig, I am paint with scarcely an attempt at deception. "'So you've come to town,' said my lady, fumbling for her eyeglass with one hand, while with the other she patted and soothed the growling Fido. Having found the eyeglass, she looked steadily through it at Algernon, who bore the scrutiny with a good-humoured smile and a little blush, which became him very well. "'You're very nice-looking indeed,' said my lady. Algy could not find a suitable reply to this speech, so he only smiled still more, and made a half-jesting little bow. "'Let me see,' pursued Lady Seely, still holding her glass to her eyes. "'What is our exact relationship? You are a relation of mine, you know. I am glad to say I have that honour. 
i don't suppose you know much of the family genealogy said my lady who prided herself on her own accurate knowledge of such matters my grandfather and your mother's grandfather were brothers your mother's grandfather was the elder brother he had a very pretty estate in warwickshire and squandered it all in less than twelve years i don't suppose your mother's father had a penny to bless himself with when he came of age i dare say not ma'am my grandfather did better he went to india when he was seventeen and came back when he was seventy with a pot of money ah my father hadn't been the youngest of five brothers i should have been a rich woman your ladyship's grandfather was colonel cloudsley ancrum who distinguished himself at the siege of calaca said algernon lady seely nodded approvingly ah your mother has taught you that has she she said and what was your father wasn't he an apothecary algernon's face showed no trace of annoyance except a little increase of colour in his blooming young cheeks as he answered the fact is lady seely that my poor father was an enthusiast about science he would study medicine instead of going into the church and availing himself of the family interest the consequence was that he died a poor m d instead of a rich d d or even who knows a bishop la said my lady shortly then after a minute's pause she added then i suppose you're not very rich hey i am as poor ma'am as my grandfather montague ancrum of whom your ladyship was saying just now that he had not a penny to bless himself with when he came of age returned algernon laughing well you seem to take it very easy said my lady and once more she looked at him through her eyeglass and what made you come to town all the way from what do you call it have you got anything to do nothing definite exactly said algernon hm quiet fido i ventured to hope that lord seely perhaps that my lord might oh dear you mustn't run away with that idea exclaimed her ladyship there ain't the least chance of my lord being able to do anything for you he's torn to pieces by people wanting places and all sorts of things i was about to say that i ventured to hope that my lord would kindly give me some advice said algernon as he said it his heart was like lead he had not of course expected to be at once made secretary of state or even to pop immediately into a clerkship at the foreign office he had put the matter very soberly and moderately before his own mind as he thought he had told himself that a word of encouragement from his high and mighty cousin should be thankfully received and that he would neither be pushing nor impatient excepting a very small beginning cheerfully but it had never occurred to him to prepare himself for an absolute flat refusal of all assistance my lady's tone was one of complete decision and it was in vain he reflected that my lady might be speaking more harshly and decisively than she had any warrant for doing being led to that course by the necessity of protecting herself and her husband against importunity none the less was his heart very heavy within him and he really deserved some credit for gallantry in bearing up against the blow advice said my lady echoing his word oh well that ain't so difficult what are you fit for perhaps i am scarcely the best judge of that am i returned algernon with that childlike raising of the eyebrows which gave so winning an expression to his face perhaps not but what do you think well i-i believe i could fill the post of secretary or what i should like he went on in a sudden burst of candour and looking deprecatingly at lady seely like a child asking for sugar-plums would be to get attached to one of our foreign legations i dare say but that's easier said than done and as to being a secretary it's precious hard work i can tell you if you're paid for it and of course no post would suit you that didn't pay i shouldn't mind hard work you wouldn't be much of an ancrum if you liked it i can tell you i know that much well and how long do you mean to stay in town that is quite uncertain you must come and see me again before you go and be introduced to lord seely oh indeed i hope so come and see her again before he went 
what would his mother say what would his whitford friends say if they could hear that speech nevertheless he answered very cheerfully oh indeed i hope so and interpreting my lady's words as a dismissal rose to go you're really uncommonly nice-looking said lady seely observing his straight slight figure and his neatly shod foot as he stood before her oh you needn't look shamefaced about it it's no merit of yours but it's a great thing let me tell you for a young fellow without a penny to have an agreeable appearance how old are you twenty said algernon anticipating his birthday by two months do you know i think fido will like you said my lady who observed the fact that her favourite had neither barked nor growled when algernon rose from his chair i am sure i hope he will he is so unpleasant when he takes a dislike to people algernon thought so too but he merely said oh we shall be great friends i dare say i always get on with dogs ah oh, but fido is peculiar you can't coax him and he gets so much to eat that you can't bribe him if he likes you he likes you voilà tout by the way do you understand french yes pretty fairly i like it do you but as to your accent i'm afraid that cannot be too much to boast of english provincial french is always so very dreadful well i don't know said algernon with perfect good humour for he believed himself to be on safe ground here but the old duc de vigagnon an emigre who was my master used to say that i did not pronounce the words of my little french songs so badly bless the boy can you sing french songs do sit down then at the piano and let me hear one never mind fido her ladyship had set her favourite on the floor and he was sniffing at algernon's legs he don't dislike music except a brass band sit down now algernon obeyed seated himself at the pianoforte and began to run his fingers over the keys he found the instrument a good deal out of tune but began after a minute's pause or forgotten chansonnette from le petit chaperon rouge he sang with taste and spirit though little voice and his french accent proved to be so surprisingly good as to elicit unqualified approbation from lady seely why i declare that's charming she cried clapping her hands how on earth did you pick up all that in what's its name do look here my lord here's young ancram come up from that place in the west of england and he can play the piano and sing french songs delightfully algernon jumped up in a little flurry and turning round found himself face to face with his magnificent relative lord seely now it must be owned that magnificent was not quite the epithet that could justly be applied to lord seely's personal appearance he was a small delicately made man with a small delicately featured face and sharp restless dark eyes his grey hair stood up in two tufts one above each ear and the top of his head was bald shining and yellowish like old ivory eh said he oh mr uh, how do you do then he shook hands with algernon and courteously motioning him to resume his seat threw himself into a chair by the hearth opposite to his wife he stretched out his short legs to their utmost possible length before him and leant his head back wearily tired my lord asked his wife why yes a little dictating letters is a fatiguing business mr ah uh, ah uh. errington my lord ancram errington oh to be sure i'm very glad to see you very glad indeed yes yes mr errington you are a cousin of my lady's of course very glad and lord seely got up and shook hands once more with algernon whose identity he had evidently only just recognized but although tardy the peer's greeting was more than civil it was kind and algernon's gratitude was in direct proportion to the chill disappointment he had felt at lady seely's discouraging words thank you sir he said pressing the small thin white hand that was proffered to him and algy's way of saying thank you sir was admirable and would have made the fortune of a young actor on the stage for in saying it he had sufficient real emotion to make the simulated emotion quite touching as an actor should have my lord sat down again wearily 
bush has been with me again about that emigration scheme of his he said to his wife upon my honour i don't know a more trying person than bush when he had thus spoken he cast his eyes once more upon algernon who said in the most artless impulsive way in the world it's a poor spirited kind of thing no doubt but really when one sees what a hard time of its statesmen have one can't help feeling sometimes that it is pleasant to be nobody now the word statesman applied to lord seely was scarcely more correct than the word magnificent applied to his outer man the fact was that lord seely had been from his youth upward ambitious of political distinction and had indeed filled a subordinate post in the cabinet some twenty years previous to the day on which algernon first made his acquaintance but he had been a mere cipher there and the worst of it was that he had been conscious of being a cipher he had not strength of character or ability to dominate other men and he had too much intelligence to flatter himself that he succeeded where success had eluded his pursuit stupider men had done better for themselves in the world than valentine sackville strong lord seely and had gained more solid slices of success than he perhaps there is nothing more detrimental to the achievement of ascendancy over others than that intermittent kind of intellect which is easily blown into a flame by vanity but is as easily cooled down again by the chilly suggestions of common sense the vanity which should be able to maintain itself always at white heat would be a triumphant thing the common sense which never flared up to an enthusiastic temperature would be a safe thing but the alternation of the two was felt to be uncomfortable and disconcerting by all who had much to do with lord seely he continued however to keep up a semblance of political life he had many personal friends in the present ministry and there were one or two men who were rather specially hostile to him among the opposition of which latter he was very proud liking to speak of his enemies in the house he spoke pretty frequently from his place among the peers but nobody paid him any particular attention and he wrote and printed at his own expense a considerable number of political pamphlets but nobody read them that however may have been due to the combination against his lordship which existed among the writers for the public press who never he complained reported his speeches in extenso and with few exceptions ignored his pamphlets altogether howbeit the word statesman struck pleasantly upon the little nobleman's ear and he bestowed a more attentive glance on algernon than he had hitherto honoured him with and asked in his abrupt tones like a series of muffled barks going to be long in town mr ancram i've just been asking him interposed my lady he don't know for certain but and here she whispered in her husband's ear oh i hope so said the latter aloud my lady and i hope that you will do us the favour to dine with us to-morrow eh oh i beg your pardon belinda i thought you said to-morrow on thursday next we shall probably be alone but i hope you will not mind that i shall take it as a great favour my lord said algernon whose spirits had been steadily rising ever since the successful performance of his french song you know mr ancram i mean mr errington is a cousin of mine my lord so he won't expect to be treated with ceremony algernon felt as if he could have flown downstairs when after this most gracious speech he took leave of his august relatives but he walked very soberly instead down the staircase and past the solemn servants in the hall with as much nonchalance as if he had been accustomed to the service of the powdered lackeys from his babyhood he seems an intelligent gentlemanlike young fellow said my lord to my lady oh he's sharp as a weasel and uncommonly nice-looking and he sings french songs ever so much better than that theatre man that the duchess made such a fuss about he has the trick of drawing the long bow which all the warwickshire ancrams were famous for oh there's no doubt about his belonging to the real breed he told me a cock-and-bull story about his father's devotion to science i believe his father was a little apothecary in birmingham but i don't know that that much matters said my lady to my lord End of chapter sixteen